Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of She Pivots is brought to you by the House of Chanel. Chanel introduces a new generation of sustainably developed skincare infused with a high concentration of ingredients and derived from the uniquely revitalizing winter-blooming red camellia flower. Packaged with lightweight glass, organic ink, and other bio-based materials, Numéro 1 de Chanel forges an unprecedented path of skincare innovation. Numéro 1 de Chanel, beauty ahead of time. To learn more about the line, visit chanel.com. Welcome to She Pivots. I'm your host, Emily Tish sussman One of my goals in starting this podcast is to highlight voices and stories of women who went through something deeply personal, only to come out of it on the other side better than they could have imagined. After launching She Pivots last year, it's clear it's not a small group. This applies to most women, whether it's a big pivot or even just a tiny pivot. What's clear is there's still a lot of unpacking to do around pivoting. So as we're continuing to build this platform and community through new episodes, I wanted to also bring you more stories, unfiltered and honest. So I'll be sitting down with more women, maybe the occasional man, some of whom have mastered their own pivot. Some are just starting the pivoting journey. Or some just have something to teach us about the deeply personal moments of life. So stay tuned for more of these candid conversations this season. Let's jump right in. Okay, welcome back to She Pivots with a super special episode with a super special guest, Erin Leachy, new Real Housewives of New York. Welcome, Erin. Thank, Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You are at the beginning of like a press whirlwind here. I sure am. How <laughs> much press had you done previous to Real Housewives of New York planning and launching? I always, you mean in relation to the show or just generally? No, just like in your life, like all of a sudden you're like, oh, here's my ninth press hit of interview of the day. <laughs> I know. I mean, I always kind of was in that world between the business I had years and years ago and then, you know, my interior design business and in the real estate world working with Frederick Eklund. So like I've always had a lot of press opportunities and been involved, but not to this level. And 
not this personal, maybe? And not this personal. I, I'm realizing that I just filmed a show in which I have no filter and say anything at any time. And I don't quite remember everything I said. So it's like, how do you, you know, like, how could anyone remember everything? Well, I was actually just thinking that, like, how could you possibly remember, especially because I imagine a lot of the press is getting the first couple of episodes before they interview you. I think so. Like, like how long ago did you film? Like a year? Not a year. We, We started in like, I think, end of October. Okay. And one of our first, actually one of our first episodes, and I think the second and third episode were out here in the Hamptons at my house. Okay, I was going to ask about that because I was in town when you guys were walking through and all the production was around. I had just taken my son. Really? Yeah, I was about to, but we hadn't met yet. Did you see production? Yeah, I talked to them. Stop. Yeah. I asked them, I was like, hey, what are you guys doing? Because they all went over to Sagtown Coffee for coffee. Of course, I told them to. It's one of my favorite coffee shops. And then you guys went in. Oh, yeah, we were there. We went to lunch at Page. Oh, is that where you yeah. I was My son had karate at, at the kites, like right behind the kite store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were that. sitting having our weekly monkey milkshake. Kites, kites of the Harbor, my, my son's favorite store. Yes, the best. So we go to karate afterwards and Cute. we're like, wow, this is a big happening yeah, for yeah, yeah. the middle of October. I know. In like Howdy's. a kind of sleepy town in the off season. Yep. <laughs> it was like, did you guys have fun when you were out here? We had so much fun. We really, really did. We had a great, great time. There we, were a lot but it was great. Yeah. We also, it was one of the first episodes was that weird having people that you only kind of knew in your house. Like it's your actual house. Well, I knew all of them, but yeah, I mean, it's not like a rented house. It's my home. So like to get all this judgment and opinions and needs, a lot of needs, it was a lot, but I'm used to hosting. I'm always, I always have people over always. And they're always pains. (laughs) There's always one pain. I'd say, you know, there's always someone who needs a little bit more, someone who doesn't help out like with the cleaning, but it's fine. I'm used to it. And I don't mind. I really love having people over. I do. Okay. So we're going to rewind how you got here. You know, the premise of this show is that we've done certain things in our lives and then things outside of our, outside of our control change our perspective. And then it puts us on like a slightly different path. And you've kind of woven those together. You started in your first professional endeavor in real estate so young. How did you start so young? My mom is a real estate agent. My dad was a business owner for many years, but then started getting into development in New York. And it was just in my blood. Like my parents were builders. I just was in that world for so long. So for a summer job, my mom was like, well, why don't you just get your license? So while I was in college, I went and got my real estate license. I took the test like in Albany. I was in college. Okay. So at 19, I had my real estate license, started working summers. And then, you know, I wanted to go to grad school. I thought I was going to go to law school, actually. And then I met my husband and he was like, is this really what you want to do? Like, I'm already a lawyer. Like, do we need to be both lawyers? And I was like, I don't really want to do that, but I didn't know what else to do. And then I found this program at NYU in sustainable real estate development and then got my master's in that. So I have had such a long history in, in real estate. Like, it's crazy. So were you an agent when you were in college? Yeah. Like when other people were having like a, co- I mean, I was so immature in college. I, I cannot know. imagine and being I was in a professional setting. Real estate. <laughs> Did people know that you were in college or you were? Well, like it, I, I'd like come work for summers and I'd get put on a listing and I'd show. I don't even know if I told them. I didn't say that I'm like, I'm in college. I just, I just would show up and I knew what to do because it was so ingrained in me. Like I just knew how to show. I was always good at sales and showing and describing a beautiful property. And I was, my transactions were pretty, pretty good. Pretty good for a teenager. (laughs) For a teenager. (laughs) 
So once I graduated, I actually was working in a new development with my mom. And it was it was very bare bones. Like oftentimes we sell new development off the ground or off of like plans, which I'm really good at. It's like kind of my favorite. This was built, but it was like a carcass. Okay, so it was very cold. It was middle of the winter. I graduated that summer, went into winter. My mom was like, you know what? I'm not going to show. It's gross. It's cold. Like you take you take over the showings. So I started showing this property pretty much exclusively. And one of the new development like leads at Halstead was like, okay, she's got something here. So he plucked me basically from that new development. And then I was put onto four other ones. So I had sold four new developments by the time I was 23. It was crazy. Wild. Yeah. Did you think about that as like, I am on my career path forever? Or you're like, this is good no, for now. I don't know what I was. Even, I was just like going with like, I can't tell you how many open houses I hosted when I was insanely hungover, like sleeping in the bed of like the, the staged room being like, I'm going to die. Oh, hi. Okay. You want to see this three bedroom? Like, I don't know how I got through it. Like I was a kid, you know, yeah. but I think I just like, I've always had, I think it's the New Yorker in me. I've always had this mentality of just like, go, go, go. And there was no real pause. Like I just went with it. So like I was given the opportunity, like, why wouldn't I take it? Yeah. You Did know? you ever think that you would leave the city? Yes. And I think I dabbled, like I, I traveled a lot. There was, I mean, I studied abroad and then after college, we actually, my parents were like, what, what do you want as your college gift? Cause they knew I didn't want just like a thing. And I was like, I want to go to South America and I want to work. And I actually volunteered. I worked in a Comodoro with kids in Lima, Peru. And I traveled for like weeks and weeks at a time. And I did everything. Like I did ayahuasca in the jungle before ayahuasca was cool. Oh, I know now. With a shaman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I was like, then years later, I was like reading about it in Vogue. I'm like, oh, this is like a thing that people do like in California. I thought you could only do it in the jungle. Oh yeah. Everyone I know who's doing it it's in California. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but like I did all these things and I experienced so much. And then I think for me, travel really grounds me and gives me the, the ability to like focus, focus on work. I know it sounds weird, but it's like, I just need that escape. I, I love being immersed in different cultures because it, it gives me perspective and makes me really appreciate like where I am in life. And like, it gives me that energy boost to just keep going and do more and do more. Yeah. I mean, we both grew up in the city and I feel like there was this sense of why would you ever live anywhere else? Like, just like, why would you leave? I mean, I've been to almost every city like what's better than New York <laughs> no really like I ask people this all the time where is there better okay there's Chicago but it's like terribly windy and freezing and in the middle of the Midwest you have California you can't fly to Europe unless you take a layover in New York and like for me being able to get to Europe or Tel Aviv or wherever easily is important I don't care about going to Hawaii that often but like also California lifestyle I don't know I just think New York is the quintessential city you know I'm not leaving America so where am I going to be yeah, no, that's totally fair. I mean, I ended up leaving for 10 years. Like I didn't think that I was going to leave. I never thought that I would leave. And I thought that I would go to Washington for one year because that was where work took me. Right. Well, that makes sense. But then I ended up staying for 10 years. And the whole time, every, like everyone in the city was like, but it's so funny being in Washington. Everybody refers to New York as they have like some ties to it. I mean, you know this, nobody in New York even thinks about Washington. Like nobody thinks that it's even close. It's very close, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ish. Yes. <laughs> it's like what, a couple hours. Yeah. If you take the train, it's like three and a half hours yeah. in the train. It's like going to the Hamptons when there's traffic. I mean, honestly, when I, before I had kids, when I lived in DC, I would come up to New York sometimes once a week Yeah, for like an event or a meeting or something. Yeah. So yes, it's very easy to go back and forth. I know, but, but it seems like a whole other like world. 
it's because it is another world. It's right? culturally so different. It's culturally really different. And it's all like all you think about is government news. Yes. Yes, yeah. that is true. That's why I liked it. <laughs> yeah. I liked living there for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Until I got old. Actually, another broker in the city in New York told me that D.C. is actually the number one feeder city to New York. Hmm. Do you think that's true? I just never would have thought about that. That's interesting. I know. Feeder city. Like people stop over and then they continue? No, like if you're tracking like where people move to New York from, like of all of the places they, they move they to New York from. from. Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Kind, kind of. of. It's, it's very different culturally. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I mean, have you even been to Washington since eighth grade? No. No, nobody has. <laughs> What's it like? It's lovely. It's sort of like being in Brooklyn Heights, to be honest. Really? It's like what it's, yeah, it's like oh, what okay. our neighborhood was it's like. beautiful. Yeah, it actually is lovely. Yeah. But no, nobody's been there unless you like actually have to go. Okay, so, you, so you're like selling, selling, selling. Yeah. How did, did you like seriously think you were going to law school or when did you meet your husband in that? Yeah, I took my LSAT. I was about to apply and I met Abe and he was like, just think if you really like, think about it. Do you really want to do this? Cause it's a big commitment. It's three years of school. Do you want to be an attorney? And I was like, absolutely not. Why would I be an attorney? He's like, well, then why are you going to law school? I'm like, I don't know. I want to have the ability to like write up a contract. And he's like, well, I could, I could do that. Like really. And, and it really did make sense. And I, it gave me perspective in the sense that like, I realized I did not want to be an attorney and that was not my path. And I don't think I could even read through contracts, to be honest. But then I decided to go to NYU for my master's and it was an incredible experience. I really loved it. Taught me a lot about construction, which is like another side of real estate that I didn't know that well in the, in a nuanced way. And that also gave me the ability to design and build. And that, I do that all the time now. So it's like, it was a great learning experience. Yeah. How did you end up working sustainability into your work? I am... People don't know this about me, but I'm very passionate about sustainability. Very, very, very. Not that I'm doing the best things in the world, but I drive a Tesla. I don't use plastic in my house. Like, I think it is insane that buildings are not built to really operate and run on themselves. They easily can. And I was really curious and interested in it. And I just wanted to know, like, what does that mean? How do you actually take those steps to have a building operate on itself? And, and it's so easy to do, but a lot of developers don't want to do it because of it. First of all, it seems like it's a lot. That's like, the, honestly, the biggest part. It just seems like more work because people aren't well versed in it. Yeah. So I was hoping, you know, if I got further into the business, which I have been, I work really closely with a lot of developers in new development. I'd be able to kind of shed light on it and help people understand that they could make these small advances in a sustainable way to, you know, have the building be more of a green building. How has that evolved for you in your work, going from just the selling to learning about the sustainability and the building? And now you're doing much more all-encompassing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, with Homegirl, what I do is, I mean, I, I work in interior design, but usually it's design build. So from start to finish, really, on any project down to the furniture. And in, in terms of like, when I talk about sustainability with furniture, it's really about reusing stuff, right? Like I love first dibs, because you can get a beautiful vintage Kagan sofa and refinish it. Like, why not? Why are we not utilizing all this like waste that exists that's not actually waste? Everybody's trying to create the same product that you saw in the 70s now, like we don't have to buy a new piece, we can just cover it. And that's like something that I think my clients really gravitate towards and love because most of them are passionate about it too, whether they realize they are or not. They just, it yeah. needs to be discussed. 
And then in terms of the construction side, there are lots of small things that you can do to make a project or a building more green. It's like just products you can use, you know, using less concrete, which is really hard on the environment. Interesting. Yeah, things like that. I mean, fashion and construction are the two biggest factors in global warming and it needs to stop. So even if I could do a small part, I'm happy to do it. After this, can I show you all the furniture in my basement for your potential? <laughs> no, I have a lot of Definitely. furniture in my basement. Definitely. Okay, great. I'm really looking for a I home for it. Too. Okay, perfect. How did you think about I me? Mean, for me, the premise of where this show came from is that I loved my career I, in politics. I was very career minded. And having three kids so close together was not planned for me and really threw my career off track. You have the same basically three kids that I have. Like, how did you think about it? Did you plan and how have you handled it? I'm not going to lie. It is challenging. There are days where I'm like, how am I going to get through all the things that I need to do today? And I'm starting a new project as well, a mezcal brand, which I'll talk to you about. But sometimes it's like overwhelming. That being said, I think when you have your own business, and you're able to make the important things, like even today, I I was able to pick up Levi and his buddy and take them to lunch and then come here, you know, but because I'm able to own my own schedule and make those decisions, it makes a world of difference. When I was working exclusively in new development, I had to be on site every single day, 10 to six. That doesn't really work for me anymore. But as you grow in your career, what I realized is you know, I became really valuable in my industry. So I would say to my developers, like, hey, I can't do that. Like, I'm not going to be here from 10 to six, but I'll be there when there are showings present and I'll manage the other people. So I think like, it is important to get to it. And I started really young, as you know, so like I had that time to get to this point in my career, but it is important as a mother to get to a certain point in your career where you can make those decisions and sort of make those claims to your bosses or whoever you work for to say, I'm capable in doing what I need to do and to get done what I need to get done. As long as you have faith in me, don't worry about the time output. Like I will manage it. Yeah. And I think that's important for women to know that they can kind of stand up for themselves in that way. Like I don't need to be here all the time, but if I'm slacking, then that's a conversation to be had. But if I know how to manage my own time and I'm selling your building or I'm, you know, doing whatever your books or whatever someone does, then that's enough. What are the must haves for you as a parent that you feel like these are the things that I can't miss? I like to be there for dinner. I like to be there for dinner. I like to put my kids to bed. It doesn't happen all the time. And I've learned not to beat myself up for over that. That's a really hard thing, I think, to get over when your kids are babies. Yeah. Like putting the baby down was like, like I I used to used to break my heart when I couldn't do it because they asked for you at that age. Now it's a little bit easier. My youngest is three. But for me, like missing school events, I had I actually had to miss one recently for something we were doing promo for Roni that I could not miss. And I didn't realize that it was on the same day. And I was so bummed, like Levi, my son had worked so hard all year for this one presentation, I missed it. And that was like, ugh, like, like a knife to the heart. And that doesn't usually happen. Yeah. But I think like school functions where like, where they've worked really hard presentations, things like that. I don't like to miss those. How did you explain it to him? I said, mommy has something really important for work and I just can't miss it. There's no way for me to get out of this. And I'm so sorry. I did not realize it fell on the same day. I was just very honest with him. Yeah. You know, honestly, like, I feel like that's good for kids to hear sometimes that like you are a person, you have your work, you have your own priorities. Like, I I mean, like I try to be there at important things for my kids, like obviously, but I do feel like it's okay for kids to hear that like you can't 
the world does not revolve around yeah, him in I every single moment and every single I time. I absolutely agree. I think that's actually something very important for them to learn at a young age. I also was reading, I don't remember what book I read. It might have been Matchpoint years ago. Was it Matchpoint? Right. Matchpoint? No, that's a movie. Yeah, what, was that, that, what was that book years ago with what with Malcolm Gladwell? Gladwell? I feel like I knew you were going to go to this one. Matchpoint? Um, tipping Point. Tipping Point. Was it was Tipping that Point? Okay, okay. I feel like it was in this book where he said, you know, you're you're not supposed to tell your kids like everything they did is so great. Yeah. Because it's, and it's true. It's like, okay, well, that was a good try. It's the same thing of like, I can't be at everything. Like that's just not real life. Yeah. You know, so they do, I think it's grounding for them and they do need to know that like life doesn't revolve around them. Not everything they do is perfect. Like things are, get hairy and it's all about how you work it out. Like one day Abe and I got in like a stupid fight, like a really dumb, dumb argument. And we were like bickering at each other. And my son was like, don't fight, don't fight. And later on we went and, and I'm being very honest about this because I think it's important for mothers to think I it's mean, okay. Every couple fights. Every yes. couple fights. <laughs> and it's also okay for your kids to see that. I'm not saying that you should like throw things at each other and have like a violent argument. Yeah. But you know, we took, we took him to the side later and we had a conversation with him. We said, listen, we're going to fight sometimes. You fight with your sister sometimes, right? But you always work it out. You know, yeah. we work it out. We talk it through. We love each other. Like that's normal. Yeah. And I think it's important for kids to know and also for parents not to be so hard on themselves. Like you can't be perfect all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's, I do try to be really honest with my kids, but not fighting with my husband in front of my kids is something that I really try Me too. not to do. Although now that I'm thinking about it, I probably still do it. So probably the only part I'm missing is telling my kids like <laughs> I'm just fighting with him in front of me <laughs> I think because my son had a reaction we were like all right let's have a conversation with him about yeah. it you know like he realized that we were getting I mean it wasn't even a big deal it's not the worst thing for them to see you know conflict and resolution yeah you know no it's an important thing for them to yeah. see so how do you let's let's talk about Roni now like how do you think about the relationship with your kids and the show, you're obviously entering this new phase, which is more public than you guys have ever been. Yeah. And I think I don't even really realize how crazy it's going to be. <laughs> Honestly, so I'm like, the more I'm, I'm like, oh my God, all these things I said, what's going to happen? But, <laughs> but how do you think about all of that? Like, you know, did, did you choose to have your kids on and not on what parameters do you put it, around it? A little bit. Do you explain it? Like, how did you explain it to your kids? Well, we had a very open conversation. Like mom and dad are going to be on a show. It shows our life, but mostly my life with some friends and my career. And if do you guys want to be on it? Do you not want to be on it? Some days, like Le Levi and Layla came home once, my two older ones, and they were like, what in the world, mom? Like you're filming and why aren't they micing me up? We were like, <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, like, this is <laughs> So like some, and then one day Levi was like, I don't want to do this scene. Like, I'm not going to. And we were like, okay, no problem. He went to his room. So I think like giving them control over their own lives, it was important during the whole experience. But just being honest with them, like mommy's on a show, showing them clips. Like I'm not going to show them the whole thing because we do talk a lot about sex. So we're <laughs> Not quite prepared for those conversations. For that. Yeah. But <laughs> but um you know what? It's, it's something about it is somewhat like freeing and liberating for me at least because it is a big deal. I am exposing a lot of my life. Yeah. I am opening the doors basically for America to see my life, my relationship, my career. Yeah. But also like I feel good where I am. Yeah. You know, and and if I screw up and if I say the wrong thing, like I said the wrong thing. I mean, I'm not perfect. Yeah. I mean, you probably do need to be a, a secure person to be able to go into this. Cause like at this point, like we kind of know what we're signing up for Yeah, by opening ourselves up that 
there's so much scrutiny yeah. from the public. And, you know, a lot of what ends up driving a lot of the ratings in these shows is conflict. Right. And there is that. <laughs> there <laughs> certainly is conflict. There is that. I mean, is, did you have a kind of comfortable level with conflict going into it? Like, I know some people kind of shy away or like. I'm very straightforward. Very. Like almost to a fault. Yeah. Like, and if there's a problem, I'm like, well, why don't we just address it and move on? Like, I don't understand the harping or, you know, the like talking about it with other people and being like, just say it, what the problem is, resolve it or don't, you know, like either way, like you can make a decision, right? Like there was one conflict I got into someone that was sort of like, you know, people were like, well, why aren't you more mad and this and that? And it's like, well, I, I could decide to be more mad, but like, who does that hurt? It hurts me. Like, I don't need to be so angry. This is what happened. And I'm deciding to move on from it. Yeah. Or I could also decide not to, but it's like, what's the point in, in the, I don't know. That's just me. I don't, I'm also one of five. I'm used to like getting into conflict. Like we've gotten into many, many things and typically we move on from them. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of what you do with a big family. So I'm just used to it. Yeah. Do you feel like you're getting out of this experience what you had hoped? I don't know yet because we haven't aired, I think. But I think it's really cool to put yourself in a situation. Maybe that's why I like traveling so much that there's like an unknown factor. You know, like I I was saying this to Abe, I feel like I just like when I start when we started filming, I was like, I feel like I entered into another universe. Like so long are the days where it's like school drop off, you know, meeting at one. It's like, no, scheduled like filming, you know, like if something occurs with somebody else on the cast, then it's like, okay, now we have to add another scene. So it's very interesting. And it's such a different day to day experience. And I thought it was cool to like be able to experience something that different from my normal life. Funny, I do feel like I'm at a point in my life now where I'm running towards things that I don't know. Because right. I want to have different kinds yeah. of like up until this point, I've spent so much of my life thinking about creating pre- predictability and like defining who I am and like really getting good at things that I think I'm good at. And now I'm actually doing the opposite. Right. So I kind of feel like it's what you're describing. Yeah, like, I want to just try something different. It's cool. Like I, and there's not another word I can think of. like it's just a very interesting way to live where it's like here I am starting this new project and I, I don't have control over this project. And I'm also, I'm very type A. Like before this, I'm controlling, I'm type A, like I know how to run my business. But going into this, it's, I don't have control. So it's it's just a very different way of life. How did you manage that timing? Like with having to, I mean, it's, it was it's difficult. Big, yeah, it's a big book of time, right? It was very difficult for me. It was really, really hard. But, you know, once you get it through your head that you will not have control over time and you just have to go with the flow and you cannot schedule the way you scheduled before the show started. Yeah. That's when things get easier, believe it or not. Hmm. It's like you kind of let your clients know I may not be available on these dates. You know, please speak to this person instead. And then things just get easier because you know how to manage their expectations. You're not like, I'll be there on the call and then you can't take the call and then you feel like an asshole, you know? Right. I would imagine that also happened with personal relationships, like friendships, that like if, if you have to spend a bulk amount of time with a certain group of people, yeah, that kind of naturally cuts out the time. I mean, I feel like I have such limited time for my friends in the first place. It kind of cuts out the amount of time you'd have for like the other people in your lives. 
I'd say I am, I, I feel very, very, very blessed and very grateful that I have the most incredible friends who have just been like so supportive. Like I, I am still best friends with my high school friends, believe it or not. And like a lot of my college friends where we don't have to speak all the time for us to have the exact same friendship and the exact same relationship. Those are the friends I think that really matter because mm-hmm. they I mean they got it they were like okay we know she's doing this and no one really like said anything aside from we're so excited for you like woohoo like how's it going you know here and there and then as soon as like I had the time again the first people I called were you know were my close friends and so I feel like it was I mean it was it was hard to like make birthday parties right sure it was hard to like go to you know dinners that were planned with girlfriends and stuff like that but I think everyone was really understanding so I do feel very lucky yeah the friends that I have who in the cat did you have a relationship with beforehand I had a relationship with Sai with Uba I knew Jenna I think it's so interesting looking at again like being New Yorkers and looking at you guys actually live in all different neighborhoods isn't that cool because I do feel like people tend to get very locally focused in the city and like yeah. only socialize with the people that are kind of in their neighborhoods. Well, Sai actually lives very close to me. Like Tribeca and Brooklyn, especially that part of Brooklyn are like, I mean, she's like 10 minutes in a cab. It's so yeah. easy. But yeah, I know what you mean. It is cool that we're in all these different areas. So did you have close relationships with them before or it was more like you and this was the closest time you had spent together? Well, with the girls that I mentioned, I mean, we ran in the same circle. Sai and I most mostly have like a very common friends. She and yeah. I, and Uba, like, and I just like fell in love when we first met. But yeah, we definitely spent the most time together on the show for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually funny. Last summer, I had a different friend who was in one of the alternate casts because there were like a couple of different groups. I don't even know. I feel like I'm breaking news now. There were like a couple of different groups that they were talking to. And I have a friend who, well, don't worry, you won. I didn't know. I didn't know this. Oh, 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 okay. Well, I have a friend who was in one of the other ones. <laughs> what, what, what one was that? I mean, there wasn't a name for it. There was just like a couple of different groups of people that they were talking to oh, to wow. see who, like they did screen like tests. Like groups of friends? People. Yeah. Ooh, juicy. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, you guys won out. So clearly, I was going to ask, what do you think it was about the group that, that won out? Honestly, we are hysterical. I am telling you, I I watched some of the episodes, not many, but I tell you, I mean, like crying, laughing, like also when we get together, it's just like we riff on each other. You know, you know, friends that you have that like you go out and it's just like this one comes back with that retort and this response and everyone's just like laughing and it's funny and it's like we're all really witty. We all like get the point. Some of us, most of us. Um, (laughs) And it's fun. We have fun together. It's just like fun moments i feel like you're describing what every like group of friends now thinks to themselves i was editing the episode that we're putting out next week is with a very old friend of mine and she was saying how like the trend now of like group of friends like god we're so funny we should be a podcast really like that's what she, i feel like you're describing that you're like god we're so funny we should be a show and now everybody will love it yeah like, will I, I think people it. like it it feels also very i hate to say it because it's trite but sex in the city like mm-hmm. everyone is one of those characters in a sense you know it's like we're very individual but we're great as a group yeah I mean that show like growing up in the city that sex in the city really did revolutionize the way that women socialize like I have a very specific memory Me of too. it I watched it like 
crazy and I felt very connected to it. Yes. I mean, I was obviously we're, we're younger, young. yeah. but we were like, yes, like that could be our lives. Like, do you think that girls now yes. will see you guys in the show? I, I really hope so, because I think it's a healthier, not that Housewives isn't healthy, but, you know, there's a lot of conflict and resolution. There are healthy relationships. There's a lot of fun. And there's also like women with balancing careers and kids and a lot going on while still like, you know, spending time with their friends and having those healthy friendships as well. So I think there's a lot that we're giving younger yeah. women, you know, and also women of our age that are just want to relate. And like, you know, even like there was there, was, I remember the scene when we were filming it, my son, like, but like starts like peeing. I don't know if it's going to be on camera, but like he just starts peeing and I'm like, Fuck, like oh my God, like, you yeah. know, but this is life. It happens. I was potty training and he was peeing everywhere. You know? I mean, 100% before this, I was running errands with my three-year-old in town and she looks over at me and she's like, I have to go to the potty. And usually when she says that, it means she already did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good. I'm standing in the middle of Relax on Main Street and she probably just peed on the ground. She did not, fortunately, but I was like, <laughs> I know where this is going to end. Yeah. With me like throwing my purse over it and hoping that I can it's sock like, it up. And... Yeah, I know. It's like a whole thing. It's not easy to potty train, but it's it's good for people to be able to relate to it. <laughs> no, it's very relatable. It's relatable. <laughs> I, mean, I do feel like that's been sort of a general commentary of like the, bra like the hardcore Bravo fans that a lot of these groups that have been on housewives shows for a long time are getting really serious and kind of dark and like they're into it and they want to keep following it and they feel very invested but like they they're looking for something a little lighter because like it's getting so deep and so dark yeah and you're hoping that this Agreed. is going to do that i definitely think that i think this definitely does that i mean yeah. it's just not dark you yeah, know, like there. And I think a, a lot of us are just I mean, I, I wouldn't say everyone, but I think most of us are so I don't want to say anything negative because I don't want to like shit on anyone else. But I, I think we're just in in places in our lives where we have so much going on that we're not getting like so in the weeds and like such a dark space with each other. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we just don't have the time for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, to be like, ah, like in our beds, like so upset and angry and Twitter and all that. Like we're busy. Right. Exactly. Like I can't just like be like precipitating over like the thing that we just talked about or like whatever it is to get like super dark. Going, and, like, like these conniving. Reddit holes. Like everyone's like, did you read Reddit? What it said? I'm like, I don't even I don't know how to read. I, I mean, maybe I should, <laughs> but I don't know how I don't have Twitter like I have it, but I don't do anything on it. So. I feel like another piece of that is like actually the the spousal relationships Yeah, that it does feel like over the years, a number of people have chosen to go on, whether it's Housewives or a different show, because they actually wanted to get financial security to leave their partners or to expose it or, you know, something along those you know, lines. I never thought about that, but I've been hearing that a lot lately. It's very interesting. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's an interesting take on the new feminism that like if you don't have your own income stream then maybe exposing your partner and getting your own platform it seems like a real painful way to do it, like to expose it to America and to the world. But I was making more money before I got on the show. <laughs> I swear to God. And does that, that going to feel worth it? Like, <laughs> I mean, really, um, that's very interesting. I think there is something empowering for a lot of women who don't have an income, income stream to be able to like create a character and, in themselves, you know, which is really just their true self. You really can't fake it on these shows. That's another misconception. You, the time. You, can, you just can't. The minute you start being fake, the minute you look like a version of yourself that is not 
real and the and the fans and the viewers pick up on it in five seconds. Mm. So I think it's really interesting when you see, because I've seen these shows where like people start to shift and like act a certain way and feel yeah. it immediately. But yeah, that is a really interesting way to put it. And yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. I think it's it, it sort of goes along with the debate about like, what is feminist in appearance now? Like, is it still feminist to have all of the implants and surgeries to look the way you want or not, not. not in my book, but I don't, I respect it. It's so funny because I really, I breastfed three kids. Like I need to get a boob lift. Okay. I have no problem in saying it. By the way, I think you just heard my producer laughing in the back of this because this is the conversation <laughs> we had at dinner. I, com- last night at dinner, I compared my boobs to it. two long tube socks. Oh my God. I joke about I'm like pancakes <laughs> cleaning the floor. Anybody needs like a, a mop on aisle eight? Like that's me. Okay. It's ridiculous. I mean, I, I probably shouldn't have breastfed for as long as I did, but I loved it, you know, so, but it ruined my boobs. I, you said right. double D's, double D's. <laughs> I'm now a B. I have tiniest boobs. Okay, that's the that's the biggest. It's crazy. Small, like, shrinking I was I've heard the, of. I was like known for my big boobs. And I have tiny boobs now. I had a breast reduction before I had kids. So I had like giant boobs. And now I just sort of have empty ones. Like exactly. They're, they're, they're looking long. So everyone, so everyone keeps telling me like, you're going to have to get an implant. But I really don't want to. I re- this was the conversation. I, really, we had I, I, I do I not really want to. I do not want to. Yeah, and I don't think I will. I mean, I don't, I know that everyone's going to like, meaning doctors are going to yeah. probably try to encourage me to do it, but whatever. So it won't be a perfect boob, but it'll be higher than it is now. <laughs> yes, like higher, higher than my meeting my belly button. Exactly. In the <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm very much like into looking like yourself. I don't judge anyone who wants to have plastic surgery or whatever. I think it's fine. It's all about how you feel at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. But for me personally, I just like looking like myself and I think it's okay to age. Like I don't mind those things. Where's the line for you when you think about where your lines are, like of what you open up, like whether it's on social media or whether it's on Roni, like if you did decide the show continues on, if you continue on with it, if you did decide to go through a surgery like that, oh, I would, would you do it. it on the show? Oh, mm-hmm. I would totally show it. I would totally. Show it. That doesn't bother me at all. Have you decided where lines are for you? Um, I'd say like with my family, like with my kids, like if anything felt too personal with them, like if they were, I don't know if they were like having an issue with a friend or like something at school, like I would never want their lives because they didn't sign up for this at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Same with my husband. Like if he ever felt like something was really personal for him and he didn't want to film it, I would never ask him to like hard stuff. For me, I'm very open. Like I've always been just a very open person. I don't have that much that I feel like I wouldn't share. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. I feel like it's the, it's like lack of filter. Maybe. Cause I, I think it's the, the Israeli way. in me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, let's go. Let's show it, like, put it all out there. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, look, I think once you, anybody can get to this place, whereas, you know, if you're okay with not being perfect all the time with not like having the right story yeah. with people having backlash and look, Granted, I have not gone through probably the backlash that I will go through in the upcoming season. So I don't really know what to expect. I don't know how that's going to feel. But I'm also going into it knowing that it exists and that I'm okay with it. So yeah, 
I think if you if you have that kind of mindset, like what could really go wrong in a sense, you know, I mean, of course, I'm sure there'll be times where I'm like, shit, I wish I didn't say that or damn, like I, I sucks that people see me this way. But I know who I am. I know what my intentions are. I know I'm a good person. I care about my friends and family and the viewers, to be honest, I care about all of them because I want them to be encouraged by the show and encouraged by us and feel like for women to feel good and even relationships like I love showing my relationship because knock on wood, we're not, again, we're not perfect. We fight in front of our kids, apparently. But <laughs> but you apologize. But we apologize <laughs> and we love each other. And we have like mutual respect, which I think oftentimes on these shows, you don't always see. Yeah. You see a lot of women who don't seem to be respected by their husbands. And it's disappointing to watch. And I yeah. think that's an encouraging theme where you get to see a husband who really like supports their wives. I think all of our husbands are like that on the show, to be honest. That's all three great. of us have husbands that really promote us and care about us and want us to do the best. We do need to see more of that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What do you think, not in terms of like the storylines that are going to come out, but by becoming more public and becoming, I guess, associated with reality TV in general, like what do you think are like the best case and worst case scenarios for you? The best case scenario is that everyone loves me and no, I don't know. Uh, I don't really know. That's a good question. I have to think that one through. I mean, worst case scenario is that someone in my family would be upset or hurt, like even my siblings, because they're on the show a little bit by anything I said. That would be really, that would crush me. I would never want to hurt like my close friends or family in any sort of way. Best case would be that people are excited about what I have to offer, that women are inspired. And that makes me emotional to even say, honestly, inspired to be mothers. And this is a, this is something that I, I've struggled with for years understanding that women are constantly giving up their careers once they have kids. And I'm just so not that type of person. And I don't judge people giving up their careers because I totally understand why you'd want to spend every minute with your kids, but they end up going to school. And then what are you like left with, you know? And I really want to, in, you know, inspire women to continue with their career path because I think it's so healthy. It's healthy for your marriage. It's healthy for your kids. I think it's healthy for, you know, your own mind. Yeah. I think the hard part where people end, I mean, some people just leave the workforce if they want to, but I think- And the, I get that. And I don't judge that. Yeah. At I, all. Well, I think the place that it becomes hard is when- your career path doesn't match up with the amount of bandwidth that you have. Absolutely. That was my problem. Absolutely. I didn't even see a way not just to stay in my own job, but to stay in my field because my field was 24 seven. Like there's no a little bit control your own schedule version of being a political strategist. Like you have to be. That's, you know, and what's so cycle. unbelievable to me about it and not that, and I, I don't know what that kind of career is like, because yeah. obviously mine's way more flexible, but like men don't have this issue. Yeah. For the most part, you know, maybe some, but for the most part, women are the ones expected. I mean, first of all, we have to birth the child. Yeah. We have to feed the child. We have to nurse it, but it's like all on us. And then it's, then what? Then your husband gets to have this robust career and then you're like stuck, like taking care of kids. And then one day they're 10 and you're like, shit, I have nothing to do all day. Like, what am I going to yeah. do? So I honestly very, I'm very impressed with your podcast because I think it's so important for women to think about pivoting. Like, how do I turn my original career into something that works for me as a mother. 
that's been the piece that is the most fulfilling for me in having these conversations of being able to see, because I think that people sometimes write off their previous experience and saying, oh, well, it's not related to the thing I'm thinking about doing, or there's no way to translate those skills, or this doesn't translate. But to be able to get into the headspace where you can see, yeah, it might not be the same field. It might not even be the same terms, but the skills that I built are transferable. We live in a society now where there's social media, there's YouTube, like there's so much access to people and to sell things that you can do and create in a different way than it ever was before. Like maybe you're good at baking. Maybe you want to like have a YouTube channel on baking and then you see where it goes. It's better than not trying anything, right? If you're staying at home anyway. I mean, there's just like all, there's all these opportunities now. But I mean, again, I think being a mother full time is probably way harder than what I do. It's too hard to be on. I could not do it. It's too hard for me. It's too hard for me. Like I just can't deal. I just cannot deal. (laughs) Yeah, that's way too hard for me. I respect it. I really respect it. And I also feel like it's made me less judgmental that when I, before I had kids, I was very judgmental of women who didn't prioritize their careers and didn't continue to work after they had kids. Like I have this very specific memory of seeing Nicole Wallace being President Bush's White House press secretary and leaving after a year and saying that it was for personal reasons. And I remember thinking, how could she do that? Like she's betraying all of us, all of us women. Like she is the White House press secretary. How could she leave after a year and do it for personal reasons? And now I understand it more and, right. and I'm less judgmental and I have a greater respect for the women who do just, first of all, they're very busy. It's really a lot. To oh my kids. God. And they utilize their skills in different ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I, I never really understood it. Yeah. Like now I, I really do, especially as your kids grow up and you have to like have these hard conversations with them. You know, like I'm at that age where my son is eight and a half and we have to have conversations about feelings and friendships and, and using his iPad and not like, he has like group chats, like FaceTime with like four different boys. And one of the boys was cursing a lot. Actually, it was very scary. Like bad words, like words, not just like fucking shit, like bad Ah. words. And I'm like, okay, these are not, and and, you know, that's a skill and I don't have it. So like, I'm trying to figure out how to like have that skill. But I mean, listen, Mothers, stay-at-home moms, I respect you tremendously. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think about a lot with my son is how to raise a good, sensitive boy who will become a good, sensitive man. Like right now, he is sensitive and he always has been sensitive. And I don't think that we have good models or even language for how we should be raising the kind of men that we want to see. Like we talk a lot about about like, how to rethink it and, you know, like how to back up, but like starting from the beginning, is that something that you've addressed with your son? I grew up with a very, very, very warm Israeli father that hugged me and kissed me to this day. He like smooches my face. I'm like, I'm not four. You have to stop. <laughs> like he does it on camera. But I remember, and I, and I still like believe this, that he would always say, all you need is love. You need nothing else. You could have nothing, but if you have love, that's everything. So I think like if you just like overwhelmingly love your kids and like smother them, it it keeps them grounded and sensitive and and in a way that carries through. I really believe that Mm. as cheesy as it sounds, as cheesy as it sounds. Do you find that in your family that the boys are still able to access that sensitive side? Absolutely. They're, They're super loving. They're super caring. My dad was just like, such like a warm teddy bear loving loving man and they're all the sweetest boys 
you know, they're really like amazing. If you need them, they'll be there in two seconds and they're not perfect, obviously, but they're like, they're just great. They're great men. I'm very proud of my brother. Yeah, <laughs> so, so sweet. <laughs> oh, they're great. But I, I really believe that. I really believe that as a parent. Like, and I think we're also society now, especially where there's like also on Instagram, there are all these targeted things like don't yell at your kids. Don't put them in a timeout. Don't do this. You're going to damage your kids. Do you get those targets? Yeah. I mean, I do put my kids in timeout. To uh, me too. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. But however you do things is how you do them. And as long as you keep showing your kids, I think like love and affection and those things that are important for them, for their soul, whatever, it is, whatever tactic you use to get them to like stop climbing up your pantry is okay. Right. No, I totally agree with you. I think that there's I think there's like we are raising the first generation where there's going to be like a little bit of a confusion. Like I, I do believe in some version of gentle parenting for some children. Yeah. Like, in fact, some of my own children and Absolutely. some of my own children, it does not work with. Right. But also holding high standards and holding them accountable for their actions. Like I worry that we're a little bit overcorrecting in gentle parenting so that we're not holding children accountable for their actions. I agree with you that it depends on the kids. Yeah. Absolutely. That being said, like it's not a free for all. There are rules. And the minute that they decide that there aren't or they're taught that there aren't, they will not follow rules for the, I think, for the rest of their life. They will know that that, like everything is for negotiation, like nothing. Yeah, that. And you know, a teacher taught me this actually this year where my son is a negotiator, like big time. All my kids are, but my older son, I mean, he learns it from us. We both negotiate. Like I was crazy. like, where do they possibly get I that mean, from? They, all we do is negotiate <laughs> with each other, Abe and I. Like, oh, he'll be like, can I have a massage? Can you rub my back? He's like, so what am I going to get? Like, everything is a negotiation. <laughs> but um, one of the teachers we were talking about, they were like, you know, Levi, he's not like having trouble listening, but like a couple things here and there have happened. They're like, you know, we find that strong boundaries work with him. If you say no, just stay, stay with it. Stay with the no. Do not shift. Do not say if he does this, you said no the first time and that's it. And I, and I put it into practice and it like changed him. Yeah. It changed him. Like I say no and that's it. He moves on. Yeah, totally. And I think it really does depend on the kid. Like I feel like with my older two, they're all a little bit negotiators, but they understand like, okay, I I see that you've had a well-formed argument here. Like I'm willing to go for it. With my third one, she will just push every boundary possible. And so no needs to be no. Yeah. Otherwise I'll regret it for the rest of my life. It's so interesting. Yeah, that's that's another I think that's a really important tip for parents. Like they're not all the same, you know, like you have to treat each one as the individual that they are. Yeah. And I explain it to my other kids. Like, yeah. Why can that one do something when this one? And I'm like, well, you don't listen so much. Right. So that's right. why you don't right. get that kind of yeah. privilege. That's good. Like if you're that. a little bit of a better listener, then I can trust you a little right. more. <laughs> yeah. And also being honest, like some of my kids are more honest than others. If you're more honest, you'll get more. Yeah, we've we've started to enter that phase Mm -hmm. too. (laughs) Just to wrap up, what is one thing, we're going to do a big overview here. Okay. But what is one thing that you think that at the time you saw as like a real negative, a kind of a low point, and you weren't sure how you were going to get out of it? And that now in retrospect, you see that it really launched you? My failing handbag business. Oh, there you go. It was the hardest. People don't know this about us. Nobody asks. I feel like people assume that I am like, I mean, they say this on the show too, like that I'm like this trust fund kid and like everything's perfect. I went through a really hard time where I started a a fashion business and then my husband left his firm and he worked at a very big firm at the time to start it with me. And 
we had it, it was going for years and years. And it was always like, we were always like catching up. Fashion business is so incredibly hard. We were making leather handbags. Like we didn't have anyone behind us. We didn't didn't know what a strategic investor was. Like we didn't know anything back then. But it got to a point where our car got literally repossessed. Like I saw it taken. Like we couldn't afford the car. Like, like, and we were too proud to go to our parents and they did help us a little bit. We weren't going to like, like keep asking for help, but we put ourselves in that position. So we had to crawl out of it. And I remember there were certain times where when we were going through it, I was like, I'll never get out of this. But I knew that I would. And he was very positive, always so positive. But it was the lowest part of my life. Yet somehow it turned into the most incredible experience ever. From that, I started my design build firm because I knew how to like market, do market research and, and design really you know, a trend forecast from my, my history in fashion. And my husband started his law firm that did incredibly, incredibly well. And we just learned how to be business owners. It was like the most, we always joke was the most expensive degree that we ever got because we both have, you know, degrees after we went to college, but hardest experience, best thing we ever learned. Do you think there was a change in perspective for you? Absolutely. I knew what it felt like for so many Americans to go through failing businesses. I understood what it felt like to have children and not know if you could like (laughs) pay the bills. Like I never thought I would be in that position. I come from a comfortable family and so does Abe, but we saw what that was like and it's incredibly hard, you know? And, and I think having friendships, having people to talk to about it, you know, being able to like, to fall back on the people that were closest to us really got us through and having each other got us through, but also more than anything, just knowing that you would get through inside of myself. I knew somewhere like beneath it all that I would get through it. And I think it gave me the courage to to actually like crawl out of the hole we were in. What have we not covered that we should? I think we've covered a lot. You better watch the show July 16th on the premiere. Thank you so much, Erin, for coming on. This was really fun. Really, really fun. Thanks for listening to this Candid Convo episode of She Pivots. Check back in weekly for more conversations with inspiring women. To learn more about our guests, follow us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast. Leave a rating and comment if you enjoyed this episode to help others learn about it. A special thank you to our partner, Marie Claire, and the team that made this episode possible. Talk to you next week. She Pivots is hosted by me, Emily Tish sussman produced by Emily Edda Voloshik, with sound editing and mixing from Nina Pollock, and research and planning from Christine Dickinson and Hannah Cousins. I endorse She Pivots. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, 
host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.